This is a presentation of BSRN, Box Studios Radio Network. Hi, this is Don Biggs from the 92-93 Binghamton Rangers. Hi, this is Brandon Butchins. This is Grady Wittenberg, the voice of the Binghamton Senators, and you're listening to the Power Play Post Show. Corey Cowick, left wing for the Binghamton Senators, and you're listening to Bob Howard on the Power Play Post Show. And hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Power Play Post Show. This is the show for June 1st, 2023. This is episode 10 of season 12, and this is episode 383 in the long-running podcast. That is the Power Play Post Show. I am Bob Howard. Once again, thank you very much for listening, and uh, welcome back. I took a couple-week vacation, uh, got some you know, good R&R for my brain and for my soul and everything. I actually was down in the beach in New Jersey, uh, one of the locations I like to go visit uh, with my wife. And uh, obviously, you know, today being June 1st, there was some news, obviously, in the Federal Prospects Hockey League. But I got a pretty good interview as well that I did. Um, a good friend of the show, someone who's been on the show six times, and today was his seventh time coming on the show, Jimmy Bono, a former enforcer, tough guy. He played that role really well and probably one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet in hockey. He will be on the show a little bit later on to talk to us about being a pro scout for the San Jose Sharks. Uh, coaching uh, with uh, the Barracuda for four years. He was an assistant coach there under Roy Summer, uh, one of the longest-running head coaches in the American Hockey League. Well, he is the longest-running head coach in the American Hockey League. Um, And uh, so great conversation with Jimmy. I hope everyone enjoys that. You'll hear a player's perspective going in and starting to – uh, now scout players, pro players from the AHL and the NHL, and turning in information to a general manager to have them say yes or no on bringing in a player um, that they're looking at. And scouts are very important in the NHL and even in the American Hockey League to get the best players they can for their teams. Um, so great conversation with uh, Jimmy I always enjoy my conversations with Jimmy. Today, you'll probably hear about 30 minutes of an hour and a half long conversation that I had with Jimmy Bono. Uh, Great guy. I've talked to him multiple times. Uh, Friends, you know, uh, he's one of those staples. Listen, I I interviewed probably about 1,000 players or 1,000 people in the world of hockey in the first uh, 11 years of doing this show. I only have a handful of those guys' phone numbers in my cell phone. Jimmy's one of those guys, really great guy, really appreciate it, uh, that he came on and everything um, to talk again about being a scout um, and uh, what it takes and some of that information there. So let's talk a little bit about the FPHL. Uh, obviously, the uh, the expansion draft happened uh, today, and what's really interesting about the expansion draft is that the 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 players that were selected are guys who were not protected. Some of these are really good players too, and I, I can tell you from 
And, you know, just talking about Kyle Powell for a second from the Binghamton Black Bears, who was picked up um, by the Baton Rouge Hockey Club. We don't have a uh, name yet for them. We just call them the Binghamton uh, the, or the, ba- the Baton Rouge whatevers, um, as my friend Gary Ryan likes to, to say. But either way, players are picked up. There are the assets of those uh, players. Uh, Sarge, who works for the FPHL, kind of clarified that a little bit. I think I was misunderstood. I thought they had a week to sign them, and then they became free agents. But apparently their assets up until the opening day rosters are submitted, according to what Sarge said. So that's kind of like uh, one of the notes I took out of this. But there's two things that I really noticed and I think we need to talk about a little bit before we get to the Jimmy Bono interview. One thing is that Baton Rouge and Virginia both made selections. I don't think Virginia would have made selections if Virginia is not going to play this upcoming season. There were some questions and some doubt. Hasn't been any news since like May 2nd on social media about the Virginia uh, hockey team. So what does that necessarily mean? Well, not really sure yet. They have an arena that needs to still get finished. And, uh, you know, all the things that need, you know, the boards, the ice, you know, making surface, you know, that type of stuff all has to still be completed. Obviously, they have plans to get those completed. Um, But Virginia and Baton Rouge both made selections. Now, the two teams that players were not selected from was Delaware, which you would all expect, but also Elmira. Now, what's interesting about that is, is that if Amira was going to come back, obviously they, they had a protected list, and they had players on that protected list, and there was unprotected players as well. You would have thought that those players would have been able to be chosen from, but they weren't. That tells me more than likely the league does not believe Elmira is going to be in the league next year. So I think that's probably going to become more evident over the next probably two or three to four weeks that we'll probably find out something that that's not happening. Now, today, the same day, there was also some news that came out. And uh, from WETM, which is one of the news channels out in Elmira, they did a whole kind of like broadcast where one of their reporters was trying to get in touch with Steve Donner, with uh, people from the CCIDA, and they couldn't get a hold of anybody. And basically what they were asking about was a concert that was going to have uh, members from Chicago's uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire concert that was canceled. There's uh, 23 tickets, I guess, that were sold for that. And they wanted to get the information about how people could get refunds and potentially refunds for the Elmira Mammoth season ticket holders. So obviously there's some conversation in Elmira whether we know about it officially or not yet, that basically says that this team is not going to be playing next year. So I think those players will be part of uh, a free agency or dispersal draft or whatever, Um, obviously coming up in the summertime. So we'll see what happens there. We don't know. Uh, But what's interesting was the people that were selected. Um, So... A couple of the things that I want to point out was Ian White was selected. Now, he played the majority of the end of the season with the Norfolk Admirals. And I can tell you from talking to people in Chicago, uh, he's reached out to Chicago. He's reached out to the Chicago Wolves. 
uh, because they might go independent and they might need an experienced defenseman like him. I think the veteran rule in the HL is six players. So I think he's hoping to be one of those six players. Um, The other interesting one note is in Virginia, they selected three goaltenders, but they picked Travis Ridgen. Now, anybody that picks Travis Ridgen, and I think Trav knows this, and if he listens to this, which I doubt if he will, he's got better things to do than listen to uh, my podcast and everything. But if he's listening to this, I think he understands what I'm going to say here. He may not be the number one goaltender um, because they did pick uh, two other goaltenders, Ian Wallace and uh, Christian Pavlis. And Pavlis is a very good goaltender and likely could be the starter in Virginia this upcoming season. Travis Ridgen could be the backup goaltender. And if he's healthy, he's gone through some, uh, he went through a surgery, hip surgery. Uh, He's got a great podcast. But that's clearly one of the reasons why, if you're an FPHL team, you might want to bring him in. Now, with the two goaltender rule, it's a little bit different, right? Because you really got to have a good backup goaltender. You got to have a guy that you can rely on. Because if your main goaltender goes down, Pavlis goes down, you need Ridgen to step in and win games for you. Can he do that? Has he proven himself yet to be able to do that? We're not really sure. But the upside of Travis Ridgen is he brings a bunch of eyes to your team because people like Trav. Trav is a great YouTuber. He's a great communicator. He's probably a better communicator than he will ever be a goaltender. And that's not a diss. Some people may have a passion and love to be a goaltender, to play hockey, to play baseball, to play football. But they also might be a better communicator as well. Okay? So Nate Burleson, he's on CBS. He also does the CBS. uh, He does the CBS this mornings. He does CBS. I barely remember him as a football player. Of course, I knew of him and knew of him. But I think he's a better communicator on those programs that he does, his interviews with players and other people, how he interacts with uh, his, 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 his morning commentators, uh, Gail King and, um, and Nate, or in, um, um, I can't even remember the other guy's name. Not the, not the point. He also does the Sunday morning uh, uh, you know, pregame show on CBS. He's a great communicator. That's what Trav is. Trav is a great communicator. Trav is a great ambassador of the FPHL. He calls them out on their stuff. I almost said the other word. And he also is a great advocate for them. So I think any team that is smart and wants to market properly your players and your teams, sure, of course, you want to put a great uh, team, a great set of players If you want to win a championship, it's all about managing players. It's all about managing the pieces, right? Chessboard. Trav is a great guy to bring in to get eyes, to get people to look at it. Because once people see his podcast, his YouTube channel, and they watch his stuff, they'll see how great of a communicator. And they will fall in love with him. And that'll bring ticket sales to, obviously, the Virginia team. So that's important. But now Trav has to do the hard part, which is... Get ready, and he's working on it. From everything that I've seen in this podcast, he's working on it. And he has to get to the finish line, which is becoming either the starter or the backup for the Virginia, whatever you want to call them. Okay, because we don't have names yet. 
They barely have an arena yet, but that's besides the point. So there were obviously uh, players selected. I think Kyle Powell was one of the biggest players. He's a four-time defenseman of the year. He was selected from the Binghamton uh, Black Bears. He'll be on the Baton Rouge team, likely be on the Baton Rouge team. He's already announced selling one of his jerseys, going to try to buy a vehicle, and I think he needs to get his, uh, get himself down to Baton Rouge by the end of the summer so he can be a part of that. Virginia picked up probably of one of the best pickups there was. Dustin Henning has played over 500 games professionally. He uh, was the captain for Port Huron. He's heading down to Virginia. Very good selection there. Uh, Larry Yellowney, who played in Binghamton and Watertown over the last couple of years, he's a really good underrated player. I think he's going to do well um, as well. Uh, so there are some interesting players here, but the, you can you can go on to any of the Facebook pages. I know Minor Pro uh, Hero Transaction Scores and more. They have that there, so go check that out. And again, these players are going to be the assets of these two teams up until they put in their game, uh, their their opening day rosters. All right, so I want to make sure that's very clear. Um, so very interesting. I just wanted to bring that up and everything. We don't know the status of Almira, but according to a, a report out of WETM in Almira, people are trying to find out how they can get their refunds uh, because it doesn't look like either A, their arena is going to go forward with even doing things with all the fixes they need to do. It might cost just too much money for that small community to do that. It's a shame. I personally think... Great rivalry could have been had between Elmira and Binghamton. It never really happened in the past. Two years they were in the UHL together. It was the BC Icemen and the Elmira Jackals. And they got two years of that. I think they played in the playoffs once uh, during that small time together in the UHL. Otherwise, Binghamton's either been in the AHL and then um, Elmira was in the ECHL and then eventually the, uh, the FPHL. So... Kind of unfortunate with Elmira. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens going forward. There's probably not going to be a lot of, uh, lot more news and stuff. I will have Jimmy Bono here in just a few seconds. I do want to basically say I'm going to try to pull out a few more interviews over the summertime before we get into the regular season. Now, during the regular season, my plan is to still do the Binghamton Black Bears uh, kind of like mini game recaps after each game. Uh, which will be obviously up in all the podcast uh, ways, you know, Apple Podcast and and uh, the Spotify as well. Um, thinking about doing some sort of YouTube thing, but we'll see if I can get that to uh, happen. Uh, but either way, the the interesting thing here will be what news comes out of Elmira. Do we have a 10-team league or do we have an 11-team league? What does Virginia call themselves? What does Baton Rouge call themselves? So there's still some stuff that can be discussed and looked at. Uh, I think my next interview that I come out with is going to be FPHL-related, obviously with Jimmy coming on, more NHL and AHL-related, and more centered around, really, Jimmy. Uh, Jimmy's a great guy, French-Canadian, who came down and played uh, a lot of years with uh, the Worcester Ice, uh, with the Worcester Ice Cats, with the Worcester Sharks, and was a part of the Sharks organization, and still is a part of the Sharks organization. So, and he speaks highly of them. He, he, he you know, he, whatever regime was running the Sharks, he's had nothing but good things to say. Uh, but he's also got a really good life. So he's he's a really happy man, and I'm very uh, happy for him. 
So coming up next here on the Power Play Post Show is my good friend, Jimmy Bono, from the San Jose Sharks. He's a pro scout for them. And you'll hear that interview in just a couple of minutes right here on the Power Play Post Show. This is Grady Wittenberg, the voice of the Binghamton Senators. Shot here at the face off, they win! Ryan Teller, Kristen and Hall! You're listening to the Power Play Post Show. And welcome back, everybody, to the Power Play Post Show. Uh, very excited to have this gentleman back on with me. He's been on six different times before when he was a player, and now he's a pro scout for the uh, San Jose Sharks, and he is honestly just you know a great friend to this show, and I'm very excited to have him back on. He comes to us, uh, obviously, as a pro scout for the San Jose Sharks. He is Jimmy Bono. Jimmy, welcome back to the show. It's great to have you on. It's just good to hear your voice and get to talk to you a little bit. <laughs> that was good to be back, uh, Bob. It's been a while, but it's good to be back talking about hockey. Absolutely. All right, so Jimmy, you know, when we talked to you last, you were obviously playing with the Worcester Sharks, and then I know that you played uh, one more season um, with the uh, ECHL's uh, Rapid City Rush and everything. It wasn't the first time you played in the ECHL. You kind of started your career in the ECHL. Now you're a scout, and um, you, you you played. You actually were a scout, and then you then you helped uh, was as an assistant coach with the San Jose uh, Barracuda for four years. But now you're a scout, and your mindset and you, the way you think about hockey probably has to change just a little bit. What was that change like for for you when you retired as a player and then became a scout? What how was your mindset different than when you were a player? Well, you just got to analyze the game. You just got to stay, you know, you take the emotions out of it mm-hmm. and you an, you analyze what you see impartially. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that you can't have a certain type of flavor or type of player that you prefer as opposed to another. But when you look, you know, you try to evaluate upside. You're trying to evaluate uh, fit, uh, needs. And, uh, you know, you try to come up with the best, the best thing you got. Then you try, obviously, uh, on the pro side, guys are at that point have been identified. They've all signed the pro contract, drafted, et cetera. So when they, when you get to see them, you try to go early. You got to make a decision. You got to, you know, you, you put your time, you see what you, you see what you get in the player. And then from there, you report on it as, as, as early and as as decisively as possible, uh, and then as as time goes, if the player changes, it's okay. But at the time, you want to be able to, you you want to provide a yes or a no for your general manager as opposed to a, a maybe. So I guess what I'm looking for, my perspective, a little, you know, I, I again when I was when I was playing, you're. You're into it. You're looking to bring what can I bring to the team that's going to be the, our best recipe to win within my with my within my skill set of what I have or the expectation that come from my coaching staff. Now my my thing is I'm trying to find those players who will take those roles, those fits, those you know driver, whether it's driver on the forecheck, driver of offense, driver on the special teams. Uh, you know, I'm trying to look for these guys, and it comes in different ways. Now, Jimmy, when you were a player, a lot of people knew you as a, a guy who 
um, was tough, was gritty, would drop the gloves, he would fight for his teammates, that type of thing. However, as I got to know you as a, as, as, as a person who would come on my show and talk to me, I, I realized very quickly that you were – you had hockey sense. You understood how the game should be played and everything. Um, was that something that you were able to take from your playing days into your scouting days? And even when you were, became an assistant coach for four years, were you able to take some of that hockey sense and, and say, this is what I'm looking for. I thought about the game this way, and this is what I'm kind of looking for as well. Or was it more of you were given, I don't want to say given directions uh, from San Jose about what they were looking for. Was it they trusted in you because of what I knew about you with your hockey sense and how you played the game? I think they showed me an insane amount of trust by hiring me. uh, Raw, you know, straight out of a playing career. I think I had to learn for myself what I liked, what what I think and win how you can build a team. I mean, perspective as a player is extremely different than as an executive sure. or as a scout and as a, you know, so uh, I, I was given some great mentor mentorship some and a lot of resources, but not a lot of, like, do this, do this, or do that. Like, you work within the scheme, which tends to, like, give you direction and help you accomplish what the task in front of you is. Uh, but really, like, I will tell you, for, at first you may you, you are confident in what you are, what type of player you like, how you played, what, but when when they start asking you questions and you got to, well, this guy or this guy, or like, well, like, you can't wobble too much. And that, it, it gets, it's hard at first. Uh, eventually, you know, Again, with hitting the resources, people have experienced. You start to know what the recipes for success. You got. You always. Uh, there's always going to be a, a level of risk, but there there are things that shows that show consistency in the recipe for success. And you know, those are the things you try to focus on, and then try to see again. Then the little the, the little tweaks. Okay, well, where does he come from? You work a little bit backward. Where does he come from? How much has he progressed? within those years where were his hands i as he how's his body is it filled in so you know you're just kind of you kind of adapt but uh, uh and then once the preparation is made then you just feel comfortable saying yes or no it's it's just how it is now when you coached for four years you got to coach underneath uh, your former coach right so that was probably pretty interesting how how I think I probably asked you probably in your playing days about Roy Summer, but talk to me about Roy Summer as a you know as as the head coach and you're the assistant coach. What was that like to uh, be around him and to continue to learn from him even after you had uh, resigned or retired as a uh, active player? Oh, it was fantastic. I mean, I have a tremendous respect for Roy. I see him as you know as much more of a than a coach and a, or a coworker. By now, he's a he's a friend and a mentor, and so is his whole family. His wife Melissa has always been there uh, for me if I needed. Their son Mo, uh, who's got Downs and is very very present in the hockey community, has been mm-hmm. seen you know around the AHL community singing anthems. He did it again in San Diego this year, and 
around locker rooms, and he's one of the most attaching person that I've ever encountered. Uh, so it was it was just great. And obviously, he's got his other kids, but that are away. Uh, Cass, who's uh, in coaching at Holy Cross, and uh, their daughter Kira is also in uh, in New York, and are very successful, very great family. Uh, so it was great to reconnect with them, uh, learn from them. And uh, at the same time, Roy is a guy, he's on the old school side, so we had a lot of freedom. And, and our relationship from the past, the fact that I, you know, our, our bond that we had from player and coach and, and friendship that we built even there uh, allowed him, you know, I think I had his ear too, so it felt, you know, it was rewarding to to have a guy of that experience listen to me and engage in conversation and, uh, and uh, you know, look to work as a team instead of just kind of, again, mentor and work as a team instead of just dictating what he wants done and how it's got to be done and closing his door. So learned a lot, wouldn't trade the, exp- the, the experience I had for the world. What do you think was Coach Summer's best asset as a head coach? What, what do you think – he did the best as a player, and then also uh, for you as as an assistant coach. What was what was the thing that he did the best to help you? It was, it was his relationship with his players. Mm. He, his players truly knew that he cared about them before about anything else that was a thing. Like he's been he's been proven as a developer instead of a like I don't mean to be, but instead of a title. Winner, he's had, he's had. I mean, he's the all-time win leader, but he's also the all-time game leader. He's got the, the the durability, the consistency, and he's provided help to some absolutely great players along the way. And most of these players, not to say all, because I haven't talked to all of them, <laughs> but those great players in the NHL, you talk back to them about their time with Roy, and they have a smile on their face about it faces about it so definitely the relationship that he entertained with his players it's one of the things that i i will say that uh, with some of the coaches that i've uh you know gotten to know and like you know as they came through binghamton the relationship between a human being that these coaches sometimes can just tap into, right? Whether it's a media member, whether it's uh, another uh, coach on the staff, or whether it's some, you know, a fan in the stands, it, it almost represents the same thing that they have sometimes with their players. And I think that's something that you just you can't ignore, right? You know, um, I, I think the first time I talked to you on this show, I was like. I want to have him back on. I want to talk to Jimmy even more because there's there's something about the connection that you and I just immediately had, you know, just talking to each other, the the way you answered questions, the how nice you were and, you know, some of the pleasantries that we have inside and outside of just doing these interviews and everything was one of those things where it's like so I could see that, you know, Roy Summer is almost kind of like kind of like brushed off on you a little bit because you understand those relationships and how important they are. Of course. I think, I think as a, I think as a head coach, they're everything. I think as an assistant, they're, they're partly everything too. But if a player knows where it stands in in relation to the team, the depth chart, the lineup, you know, his performances, uh, He's, he, 
then he's usually going to have your your he's going to have more your ear or so as an assistant you know the relationship is important that he wants to listen but if if the head coach has let him know where he stands and he and he wants to then then it tends to be easier now sometimes you know again it's it's those are busy seasons guys get checked out mentally sometimes guys don't want to hear things guys get defensive guys discussion can get long it's very hard to be efficient with your time that's what a great head coach does he's efficient with his time and he's not afraid to let people then take on you know he's confident that they're going to accomplish what's asked of him when he sends the player you know to work on his board work or to see where he stood in the defensive zone or x and x because you can't have your hands and everything there's not enough hours in a day like you and i have been walking we're two occupational guys we've been talking for probably a half hour right now you know so every time you got a player that sits in your office, it can easily turn into that. But you don't have that type of time. If you do it with one, one the con- the, the 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 point of the conversation is going to get lost. It's going to get scrambled. Sure. Uh, it's going to turn into a conversation instead of more of an assignment or you know a precision. And then let's assess one thing. Let's look at this. We assess the. The, the issue or the thing that we want to work on, now let's get out there, let's work on it together before practice, after practice, let's stay conscious of it during practice. You know, that's what an assistant can do. But if you get caught up too long, then you'll do it with one guy, and you'll have, if you're in charge of four, you'll have 11 or, or 13 or 14 or just looking at what am I doing. And a lot of time, the guys who are not even in the lineup are going to be the ones who are looking for the most time, the most attention, the most, you know, they, they, they want to try to, so then you may end up, and, and they're as important, but then you may end up, you didn't even get to your guys in the lineup if you go too long. So it's a, it's a challenge that shows itself every day. Without a doubt. Uh, Jimmy, when you started playing uh, pro hockey, 2005-2006, uh, I'm not sure how much social media was around. There probably wasn't a much around back then, and uh, maybe MySpace or something like that. Facebook, I think, started my first pro year, but it was only the college guys that could yes. that could have it. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah. What that brings me to is, is you know, now we're in 20, uh, 2023, okay, and the hockey world has changed as well in that time period, right? You know, I think they've kind of tried to phase out as much as the enforcer role player in pro hockey, whether it be in the NHL or the AHL. I think the ECHL tries to still teeter with having an enforcer type of player on the roster and everything like that. But between social media being as grand as it is now and everybody's got it in some sort of fashion, Twitter, Facebook, you know, TikTok and all those things, and that the fact that hockey has kind of changed a little bit, the culture inside of hockey, the way it's played, uh, the way it's talked about has changed um, a little bit. Do you find that it's more difficult for players today to make it to the NHL or to – not be distracted to get to the NHL versus the way it was when you started back in 2005? Oh, probably, because they, you know, you can, you got more platform, you you got more of a platform to express. It's not just in hockey, it's in life itself. You look at everything now, 
you know, before you had to, you you had a lot less ways to express yourself or to be seen. If you wanted, it was either amongst your friends or, you know, even if you had a camera, where would you broadcast that stuff or what would you do with it? So you had to, you know, get on get on TV or get just, just there's, there was, really wasn't a whole lot of, like, I guess maybe a little bit of message boards or something like that, but even so, no, like people were were pretty clear with that. You were going through the team, doing what the team was asking, cons- go, putting most of your time within the team setting. Uh, now a lot of guys, I think, want, like, I can't say a lot of guys, but, like, the option is there if they want so that the second that the practice or the, 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 the team mandatory team time is over, that they can just get out of there and start broadcasting themselves or, you know, using their time in a different way to that maybe bring some money. I don't know really how that works. I'm a little bit on the old school side on that. <laughs> but, you know, can I could say, like, that I hate it, but it's the way that, the like, the things are. If, I don't, if you don't want to adapt with it, then hate it all you want, but you'll realize that you hate a majority. But it's definitely clearly different, and I think it's uh... – an interesting thing to look at versus 20 years ago to today, how really the hockey world has changed. Um, there's so many just different aspects to the way it was. And I think hockey's played differently today than it was when you started. Does that make it difficult to scout players, or do you still have some core principles that you look at when you want to go to the GM and say, yes, on this guy, we need to bring him in to our organization. Is there still the same core values, core principles in hockey today that there was even 20 years ago when maybe you were even scouted? Oh yeah, for sure it does. And the, the basics haven't changed supporting pucks, uh, you know, hitting the net deception, like, like you, but, it's gotten to the, to a higher level, but like traits are off and separation, speed, penetration, like that's always been things that like you either did it or you didn't. Like it's just it's a little bit more, you know, the, the guys are bigger, it's faster, it's at a higher level, maybe right now, but not necessarily. Like it's just it's just evolution of its time. The guys back then were probably even better than the guys are now, or they would have been the same. Like. A lot of smart, a lot of guys were, were you know, three sports athletes and, like, just just probably naturally smarter and more gifted in a way, but athletically not at the level that guys are now. But the essence of the game hasn't really changed. Um, and uh, now, you know, you could say, well, when I played, I had my way, but I I probably watch, I definitely watch at least four or five times more hockey than I ever did now. So, right, like I, I learn and I pick up more about hockey now than I did in my hockey days, if that makes a sense. But I wouldn't trade the experience that I took from the playing days. But like, it's a whole other take. But yeah, like I definitely keep learning the game every day. So, Jimmy, it sounds like to me that you are, you know, in a great place right now. Um, you you probably get to spend a little bit more time with the family than you did in your in your in your playing days. How has your life definitely changed since uh, since retiring from hockey? Oh, I mean, now it's been eight 
I don't want to say it's going to go in my eight years. Yeah, I retired at 31. I'm 38 now, so I'm going on to my eight. I got seven years done, three as a scout, yeah. four as a coach. Uh, I mean, a lot of emotion goes through it. Like the first, there's definitely a time early on that you think you can still do it. Like you're, you're not unhappy with where you're at, but like the competitor in you like always has a niche to almost want to get out there. And like then obviously once once you start moving away from that a little bit, then you start embracing the other part of things a little bit more. Not that you didn't before, but you didn't realize it as much how much, you know, how much of a, there's a long grief that goes with it with the playing days and but mm-hmm. that doesn't mean you know you that doesn't mean you're unhappy but it it goes with it. uh for me so lucky to have the support system that the sharks have uh given me and you know the relationship that we've maintained i'm not gonna give them all the credit because like <laughs> you know i think that i've done i've i was good to them too when i played there and I've given them, you know, as much as I can and loyalty and everything that I can and try to get better every day as a hockey guy within the organization. So I don't think it's charity. I think I definitely earned it. But, uh, yeah, the support and the mentorship that and the relationship that I've had uh, under both, uh, you know, obviously I spent six years with the past management over after my playing career, but so far with the new regime, also extremely happy the way it goes in the relationship that I've created there. So uh, that's, that's the main part. Uh, family always supportive and, uh, you know, just an exciting life. So just kind of stay motivated with that. At time, you know, you got every time that you you miss the boys or you miss you, you realize that you're adapting, life change, and you just got to get used to it. Got to face the challenges Add on though, if you let it, if you let it slide and let them pile up, and you know little things that you're not used to do, and then or out of out of character, then that's where bad days ahead. But for me, I, you know, I think I've been able to maintain enough initiative and uh, and to, and keep a clear mind, so I'm happy. Well, let me ask you two more questions before I let you go and everything. Um, I know that you cover the kind of the Northeast area and everything, so you've probably seen Hershey. You've probably seen Rochester. They're battled up right now in the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, Hershey's got the 3-2 lead right now in the series and everything. What can you tell us about these two teams individually and everything and how they play the game and uh, what are your thoughts? Do you think it's going to be Hershey that's going to finish this out, or do you think Rochester can come back and uh, get over to the finals? They did it. They did it against Syracuse, so we never know. They got an experienced back end. Uh, Subban's athletic. He can, he, he can you know, I, I don't think that he's like the top, top, top type goalie in these league, but he can definitely come, come through and, and get a game for you. Uh, they, and they, they got some explosive young forwards up front. Uh, so you never know. Kulik, Kulik started scoring again yesterday and they won the game. Um, so, you know, I, they could, but Hershey's a well oiled machine. Yeah. You know, they got big defensemen, experience. Uh, you know, they're missing Scarbosa, which is offensive, but they, you know, rookie of the year, they got some offense there. They got some size. They got some. They got a checking line. Plus, it's Hershey. So yeah. you know they got a. Not that Rochester doesn't have a long 
you know, I played for the Amherst. You know what I think of that organization, that yep. city, um, uh, as a as a hockey city, but a uh, minor league hockey city. But you know, Hershey is kind of the the, the 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 leader or the the, the top. So they they do just kind of establish a winning culture there. Not not necessarily, but they're used to winning, and you know seems to go their way a lot. So oh, now certain. I'm not as familiar with the team out out west, but it's, it's Hershey's Hershey's going to be hard to beat. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. Okay, so obviously in the NHL we've got the Panthers versus the Golden Knights. Um, an interesting matchup, to, to to say the least. I think I think the Panthers have, have played some of the best hockey I've ever seen uh, with a team other than the Boston Bruins this year, obviously, and everything. What are your thoughts on the Panthers, Golden Knights? Uh, do you have a pick there? Well, uh, my pick based on eyes would be the Panthers. I think they played a little bit. Well, but I think there's a little bit more. It, it, it was a, more of, a little bit more fun brand of hockey. Sure, uh, yeah. And uh, and you'd think, well, they got Bobrovsky, the more proven guy. Um, then you'd want to think that the way that Bennett and Kachuk have gotten to the nets and stuff, that, you know, what you say with Vegas, they're maybe the best thing they've done is maybe they made it hard to get to the nets. And that's given, that's made Hill's life, you know, he's, he's seen a lot of first shot, but been able to handle it. Then also they got a full four line. They shared a wealth, so they never kind of get too, too tired or too overplayed, um, but my so I think Bennett, you know, Kachuk get to the net. I think Pucks get there with guys like Montour and Forsling, and mm-hmm. they can find it. Now my thing is, if you look at most time when a team caught a lot of hype as they came with Vegas the first time, for example, with Washington waiting on the other side, or even when the Sharks got there. You know, and Pittsburgh was waiting, and like there's just it, it seems to a lot of time seems to be Montreal at the height. Yep. Like it seemed like the team that's been there a little bit longer, that's got like maybe another final underneath them, that's a little less top heavy, that's a little bit more top to bottom poised, seem to take it over. So. My eyes want to say want to say Florida. My head is saying Vegas. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you with that. And it's kind of it's interesting. You played hockey in Worcester. You've 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 coached in the West Coast um, and everything with the Barracuda and everything. Isn't it interesting? It's just so fascinating how the Las Vegas sports scene. You know, and now, of course, if, if, if there are historians out there listening to this, we, yes, we know the Los Angeles, uh, the Las Vegas Wranglers played in ECHL for many years and everything. So it's not like Vegas doesn't know hockey. But I find it so interesting that the, the, the Raiders and the Golden Knights have done so great when so many people for so many years said, oh, no, Vegas can never support uh, sports teams because, you know, it's just a tourist town and stuff like that. It is amazing how professional football and professional hockey has really taken over that city. Yeah, but, uh, yeah absolutely. One thing about Vegas, though, you will all, yes, it's entertainment. They're going to give you great value for, for right, like, like, Side shows and everything's yeah. going to be there, but that city. And again, I'm not. I'm talking things I don't know here. It's speculation. <laughs> or while I see it, it's a new city. Yeah, it's 
they they like everything is convenient because it's like we need a stadium. It's like boom, put it right there. <laughs> so we need an arena, put it right there. There's room for everything. Yeah. As of like you try to do it and like living in Boston right now, and you, you're trying to plug a Dunkin' Donut in here and it's hard. Like there's no room for it. So like. <laughs> And there's enough of them already. Like, <laughs> it's you know, true, though. You it's know true. what I'm saying? Though? Yeah, like, I do. Like, I feel like they like they they literally went like, oh, we got a we we got the Golden Knights. We just built the T-Mobile Arena directly on the strip. Yeah. What are we going to do? Well, we're going to build a practice run directly in Summerlin <laughs> on the other side next to the casino. And oh, we're going to get an AHL team. What we're going to do? Well, we're going to build one in Anderson directly on the other side for yeah. them instantly. Like. It's pretty convenient. Yeah, but it was good like, for it's. But it, but let's be honest, it was good for both the NHL and the American Hockey League. I mean, absolutely, it, it was absolutely. It's a good deal for both of them. They both have sold enormous amounts of tickets, and they've been a success. And and I think that's really kind of what's important there and everything. Jimmy, it was great to have you on. It was great to talk to you again. I hope you have a phenomenal summer with your uh, with your family. Um, you know, if anything anything big comes up, I'll message you and everything as as we've done in the past throughout these uh, these years and everything. It was a pleasure to talk to you again, and I hope to have you back on sometime in the fall. Of course, Bob. Always a pleasure. Awesome. And we'll be right back right after this, right here on the Power Play Post Show. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Power Play Post Show. Be sure to tune in next week from the Box Studios Radio Network to keep up to date with the latest news, scores, and interviews by visiting www.pppshow.net. You've been listening to the Power Play Post Show.